Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. We've got a new show for you this week. We'll take a detailed look at the 2024 calendar. Uh, we'll have a little bit of a late look at Silly Season, all kicked off by DeFries. Is that the first domino to fall? And call me mad, but I'm going to pick a fight with Matt about tyres. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by the king of podcasting tyres. He was talking about tyres when everyone was saying that it was boring. And did that stop him? No, it didn't. It's Matt Tyrumpets. It was Marco, an Alpha Tauri garage with a Daniel Ricardo lap time. I love that. We'll get into that. Who who did it for Nick DeFries? Cluedo. It's a Cluedo reference. We're also joined by the future of British motorsport commentary. It's Chris Stevens. Hey, Spanners. Uh, speaking of which, got Paul Ricard coming up next weekend. You guys should uh, tune in to that. Is that GT Tin Top Racing? It is. It is the International GT Open. Now, with you commentating, I'll give it a go. And we've got international superstar, DJ, philanthropist and billionaire, Christian Pedersen. How's it going, Christian? I wish. I'm back on the pod and Matt is back. And I think of that as kind of a reunion. Yeah, I would go with that. Yeah. But Matt, I have a question for you, just a short one. Uh, you you posted a picture of something weird, which uh, a phenomenon I, I witnessed the other day where it's like a lot of um, um, uh, human male 
people in colorful dress. They are very thin. I think they're very hungry, and they are like riding around these uh, two-wheeled things in the <laughs> mountains, and people are screaming at them, hey, whoa, 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 and eventually one of them will win a meal in Paris. Uh, yeah. What is the, wh why are you watching this? Well, because that was my former competitive sport when I was younger, and I, and I, and I, and I follow it because it's the only real racing <laughs> in the world. And it's quite interesting to see motorsport emulating the, the kind of the, the bunch tactics. I saw Formula E, Matt, and they kind of, because they didn't have the energy to get around a track in, I think, Philadelphia, they were all kind of bunched up like in a, what do you call a big group of cyclists? Do you call it the peloton? You call it the peloton or go. you call it the bunch. Oh, the bunch. On, so they were yeah. all bunched up like crazy, exactly like cycling for the first two thirds of the race. And then they had kind of a sprint at the end. But the tactics were like almost exactly like the Tour de France. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I just love a race that can be over a thousand miles long. And, it, and, it, and it's where I left it last night because I've not got to the end of today's stage. There was 10 seconds separating the top two contestants after 50 hours of riding. I mean, you just got to love anything that has those kinds of margins for the win. Okay, good. Well, look, we're, we're a few minutes into the show. Uh, Christian Pedersen has completely de derailed it. Check. Uh, Matt has ha, squeezed... Derailure. Ha, <laughs> Matt has squeezed in a cycling reference. Check. Okay, good. So maybe now we can talk about F1 and the news. Big Dirty News. Chris, you're my favourite at the moment. You haven't ruined the show yet. Thanks, man. That's okay. Hey, look, um, here on Mr. Apex Podcast, we do have a choice sometimes as to whether to react to news. And we've done the odd breaking news, I think, when Vettel retired and uh, or if there's some kind of big announcement. Uh, but we don't do it very often. And I think in a situation like this with Nick DeFries getting replaced by Daniel Ricciardo, I knew we didn't have a show for the next five days. So obviously a lot of the low-hanging fruit has been picked apart to death. But the... The, the dust has settled now, and I think we can start thinking about, A, what we think the future will hold at Alpha Towery, and also a little bit about the circumstances around the replacement. Because here's my, my theory, Chris, and I, mm -hmm. I don't think this is particularly tinfoil hat. I think the decision was made to replace Nick DeFries with Daniel Ricciardo before the Silverstone Grand Prix. Christian Horner all but gave it away on the stage, and he said... He was trying to figure out who the crowd's favourite drivers were. And obviously he says, <laughs> Hamilton, there's a cheer. Russell, there's a cheer. Norris, there's a cheer. Verstappen, there was a mixed response. And then he goes, well, what, what if we were to hire Ricardo? Would you, would you like us then? And you go, oh, well, that's the, obviously the big giveaway. But I think the writing was definitely on the wall when Helmut Marko did that interview saying uh, Christian Horner was right about Nick de Vries and I was wrong because <laughs> he didn't want him. So this, is, this decision yeah. never got made on a cold Tuesday morning in Silverstone. No, no, absolutely. Obviously, the big kind of headline out of the decision was, oh, well, we put Daniel Ricciardo in the car this morning for the, uh, I think it was tyre test or something after Silverstone. Uh, he was driving the Red Bull and he was so amazing, we decided to put him in the AlphaTauri. That's not quite how it happened. That I'm is... sure it was 
the you know that was a dotting the i and crossing the t yeah. moment that's definitely the story they painted though isn't it that they were all sat there oh fine we'll reluctantly give ricardo a test <laughs> after he's been begging and then there's just one guy with the stopwatch and as he zooms past the start finishing line he's trying to get the attention of the other mechanics guys guys dramatically turns the stopwatch around <gasps> oh my goodness right go put him in the car now but here's exactly. the other, yeah. but here's the thing matt he was driving the red bull and he was yeah. reporting like, oh, the Red Bull's super quick. Well, no, duh. Uh, I got a bit annoyed that people were going, well, it would have been good enough for pole position in Silverstone. Yeah, it, like on a completely different day with a completely different track state. And and it was a tire test. Do we even know what tires he was driving when he set that no. time? Were these <laughs> like the C5s and not the C1s or 3s or whatever they actually qualified on? Do we know the fuel load? No, we don't. It's There's so many things that are ridiculous about it. The only truth to that is that was probably the last thing they said to him before he hit the track was, you know, if you put in some good lap times for us, the seat is definitely yours. Because they, as Chris alluded to, they've been looking at him in the simulator, reams of data for months and months and months. They have a very good idea of how Ricardo is performing compared to DeVries at this point. If I can just pick up on uh, the firing of De Vries, uh, because I've been an advocate for for Nick De Vries on this podcast, and uh, that's okay. He's a, multi- <laughs> he's a multiple world champion, right? Uh, and he did pretty good up until this point, uh, but not being a rookie, being twenty eight years year old, uh, and going up against uh, Sonoda and given half a year in Formula One and still not doing anything, I think it's completely the right choice to, to, to do something else on that seat from uh, Red Bull's uh, point of view. In regards to Ricciardo, don't don't forget next year, this team will have uh, Lauren Meekis from Ferrari. It will have Peter Bayer from FIA uh, leading the team. They will move their headquarters closer to Milton Keynes, probably in the span of the next five years, move the entire team to the UK. Uh, they would need like a proper driver in that team to to develop it since they are considering developing the team. So uh, uh, people are probably uh, thinking about Ricciardo in regards to the Red Bull seat, but uh, actually in the AlphaTauri environment, there's some uh, possibilities for him as well. So other drivers have said, in, in their opinion, it is incredibly harsh. And I know we've alluded to on the show uh, before about the lack of testing opportunities and the lack of preparation that rookies can can have uh, these days compares compared to the days of infinite uh, testing but it does track with red bulls you know previous record of being utterly utterly ruthless with their junior drivers and for me there are still two drivers that they absolutely dropped the ball on not giving them an f1 shot with that is antonio felix de costa and robin frines uh, but i could do a whole show on uh, on uh, on those two guys in terms of replacing him with ricardo uh, though it's interesting because obviously liam lawson has been incredibly impressive uh, since leaving formula 2 racing in japan in the super formula uh, championship and everybody was sort of touting him for a potential F1 drive either in the middle of this year or uh, next year. Now it looks like Ricardo seems to be uh, the, the preferred option and that makes sense for the team like AlphaTauri. They weren't going to get rid of an underperforming rookie only to replace him with another rookie driver. They needed uh, a bit more of a That's known a quantity point, yeah. in that seat. The question for Ricardo now is how is he going to fare going sort of a step backwards because 
and we, we've talked about it on the show, the Alpha Tauri is one of the worst cars on the grid this year. And we know it's a big struggle for drivers to take the step backwards on the grid. Yeah. It's why we maybe see drivers not perform to the same level when they move from a top tier team to a midfield team. And in this case, I would call it, you know, the towards the, the back of the grid team. So I'll be really interested to see how he actually fares in that car compared to Sonoda. Uh, this is what you were telling me earlier, Matt. You were talking about the brake performance. Uh, yeah, well, this is an interesting thing uh, because, in fact, one of the worst qualities of the Alpha Tauri is its braking. And if there's anything that our friend uh, Ricky Danny is noted for, it's his late use of the brakes to rotate the chassis and make amazing up the inside bombs on other drivers that are defenseless because they're braking far sooner. And if your brakes don't work very well, then it's going to be kind of hard for him to make progress in that car with that specific weakness. And what was his major struggle at McLaren as well? The brakes and trying to get on top of that car's handling. So I almost worry we're in for just a a repeat of what we've seen before with, with Daniel Ricciardo. Or he could be the guy they need to fix the brakes. Uh, I know I'm being a bit over positive here, but don't forget <laughs> one giant element of uh, uh, Danny Ricciardo, and that is not his nose, uh, that is his PR value. Yes, thank you. I mean, yeah. uh, I think I think actually uh, guys from Liberty, uh, people thinking in those terms have been in contact with teams saying, listen, this guy That's sells key. the Netflix series. And, uh, and having a team like AlphaTauri, who's the, the team doesn't really hold any PR value at this point giving a seat to Dan Ricciardo, getting him back into the Red Bull family. It will change stuff. It will change Max Verstappen. It will change the Red Bull team as well. Even him driving from AlphaTauri is my uh, point of view. Well, look, I, I wonder what the timeline was because they they took on Daniel Ricciardo as in this kind of media role. It, that had to be after they had hired Nick DeFries, right? That that decision had to have been made already, no? I, I think so. Yeah. And you know what? I, DeFries was really flattered wasn't he last year in the the one race he did in the Williams, uh, in that Williams yeah. which was performing quite well uh, that weekend. And it was basically a sit tight in the slipstream. I don't want to, you know, put a negative spin on the job he did that Go weekend. For Go for it. It's what I you want to do. <laughs> you know, everyone treated him like it was the second coming. Yeah, and yeah. it just, it, I never really expected a, a balls-to-the-wall performance from him when he got the permanent Formula 1 seat, which he turned down. He had a signed contract with Maserati in Formula E oh. to race this season. So he's lost out on uh, on that and potentially could go back to Formula E, could do the World Endurance Championship now. Uh, so one of the things I want to do before we walk away from Nick, uh, while admitting that you know his performance was not all everybody hoped it would be, and... In fact, it was more along what it was likely going to be, because I think I would agree with Chris. His performance in the Williams at Monza absolutely flattered him to a very large degree. But the reality of modern Formula One is that the very few people are going to walk in as an absolute rookie, um, and especially to a car with a different power unit, which the AlphaTauri has, very different to the Mercedes he would have been used to in the simulator and immediately do a super great job. He had some flashes of being around Tsunoda's performance, but simply didn't have the experience. And I think even Marco said that, like, if you really want to 
give someone a proper chance in Formula One these days with the zero testing, it's like two or three years before you really know what they're up to. That said, Red Bull was in the perfectly happy place of having a very experienced driver, which we've seen work out well for Haas. They brought back Hulkenberg, they brought back Magnussen, and did much better. And they have Ricardo sitting there. So if DeVries isn't for any reason making them happy, that's that's a, an easy swap for them to make. But I do want to make one more point that I don't think anybody has really okay. made all directly right. before right. I let I let Chris jump all over me here, which is that Horner never wanted him in the team. How much did that affect the team and how they dealt with Nick all along in terms of how the car was set up, in terms of how seriously they took his feedback and so on and so forth? We had a war there. And I think you could say either person might have won, but the real loser here is Nick because I'm not convinced he had the 100% chance because not everybody in management was on his side from the get-go. And Red Bull has a modicum of young drivers that they have to select from half the Formula 2 grid, I feel like, has a Red Bull livery on their car these days, and they're all doing quite well at the moment as well. Um, and I, th- I think the the most likely candidates, Liam Lawson, who we mentioned, and Ayumu <clears throat> Iwasa, who's sort of in the title hunt this year as well in Formula 2, but they seem to have this real reluctance to actually hire from within at the moment, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me when five or six years ago, they were having to hire back drivers they'd fired five, six years prior to fill their Toro Rosso seats that had you know, massive openings in them. I, I think I think this is going to be a bit of a false dawn for Daniel Ricciardo because look, a lot of it at his age, it, it doesn't make sense. He's not going to come in, go to Red Bull and challenge Verstappen in the time he has left. And he's not going to be able to hang around to wait for Verstappen to retire. And that is now the dream of every Red Bull junior. Every time they hear Verstappen go, oh, I just want a, a normal life. I just want to do other series. You can see all the Red Bull juniors are rubbing their hands because they're now fighting for that position for when Verstappen, I don't know, four or five years time says, now nah, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to be a scuba instructor now. But the So for Daniel Ricciardo to go into Alpha Tauri, I, I, I believe this is fully on the back of his popularity. He is so popular. He is so well-loved. He did a great job for them doing all the media and the PR stuff. And they, they just know from a TV point of view, he's gold. And Christian made a great point. Liberty Media are putting pressure on, on Red Bull to like try and hire a driver that will, will match Verstappen in that car so that they will always have two good drivers, even if one team is dominating. You know, you look at the Williams days and the Mercedes Tobin hybrid era, at least there was still competitiveness because you had Rosberg and Hamilton going at each other. So Liberty Media are getting involved with who is in the teams. So with Ricardo sitting on the sidelines, Liberty have to be thinking that is just literally money left on the table. Like if you just swap in De Vries and Ricardo, that is much more cash, much more advertising. People will, will watch F1 now to watch Daniel Ricardo, who might have been swinging either way uh, otherwise. But it's a disastrous move from a career point of view. He's going to get beaten by Yuki Tsunoda. He's not going to do well in a car that's not performing well. And I, I think this is probably going to peter out to the end of the year. So that's my prediction is, oh God, no, let's, should we just save a replay? Let's just save a replay of me saying that. I've clicked the button so you don't have to. But uh, Daniel Ricciardo is uh, one and done as far as this contract goes. Any, any argument? Oh, Trump is. Oh, and well, Christian. He- 
Uh, yeah, first off, um, certainly all the rumors are telling us that, that Yuki is more of a Honda driver than a Red Bull driver and might very well be off to Aston for the next set of power unit regulations. So if I'm Red Bull, I'm not necessarily wanting uh, Ricardo back out of a seat till I'm certain I've got someone who can come in and be a good second driver at, at Red Bull and at Alpha Tauri when he departs. Plus, Ricciardo is like half the age of Alonso, and he <laughs> is the only driver who's ever really challenged Verstappen, right? Uh, early on, I mean, early on, didn't Verstappen? No, no, have... no, no, no Spanners. This was the end point. Uh, okay, so Verstappen <laughs> versus no, Ricciardo. If I'm remembering rightly, this is Toro, Toro Rosso, uh, and they no, had, no, in no, Red Bull. In Red Bull. They, had, they had three seasons together, but Red Bull wasn't competitive at that time. That's why I'm thinking midfield Toro Rosso. Uh, but the, there was big reliability issues in their first season together and I'm sure Verstappen got a bit unlucky with the, the reliability plus Verstappen was going through like a maverick phase you know like a Hamilton 2011 type phase and you know you know hitting it hitting everything but the safety car so I, I'm not sure that was like a, a comparison you'd really want to lean on to predict the future given that in the subsequent seasons like you can't argue no one can make the case that Verstappen wasn't the faster better driver out of that driver pairing and I I I can't see how that how has that changed? Has that journey from through Renault, through McLaren, through PR, and then pop back out to Red Bull against Verstappen, and now somehow he's he's going to challenge Verstappen again? No. I, I I'll give you that Verstappen wasn't like the sharp knife he is today at that time. Yeah. But the reason why Ricciardo left that team was because immediately he felt. He he didn't he wasn't backed by the team. They were backing Verstappen as their former champion, yeah. or the, the the coming champion. Uh, I'm not saying he's at Verstappen level at all, but I'm saying he's got something, and he's got something that is uh, well. I was the one saying talking up the freeze <laughs> a couple of months <laughs> yeah, ago, so don't take my word for anything. Okay, uh, I like Daniel Ricciardo. Just have to say, do like Daniel Ricciardo. So if he was to go Me in too. there and make Alpha Tauri better and work together with Yuki Tsunoda and bring them up the grid, then that would be two drivers doing better up the grid and I would be happy. I just, I can't see someone dropping in 10 races in to a, to now a formula that is notoriously difficult for people to swap teams and hit the ground running. I just, I'm not optimistic. Sorry, Danny Rick fans. I look forward to being wrong. <laughs> Okay, I'll um, ask you a personal question, Matt. Uh, calendars coming up to, uh, yeah, it's been released, 2024 calendar. I think something like 24 races on there. Yeah, 24 races. The season starts on the 29th of February, my daughter's birthday. So I'll have to, I've already told her I'm going to miss it. And it ends, gulp, on the 8th of December. So my personal question to you, Matt, is how is the state of your marriage and how do you think it's going to survive this calendar? It's a good thing my wife can barely stand me because yeah, the time same. apart helps. Same, same. Yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously, on a more serious <laughs> note, Chris, like this is a heavy calendar. We've been predicting this for years, but woof, that is a big one. There's going to be one month of the year next year when you cannot watch a competitive live Formula One session. <laughs> And uh, I know, I know I'm going to get bombarded with the comments saying, oh, you know, Formula 1 fan, if you didn't want more races, I'm sorry, there is a limit. There is an actual 
limit it's 20 races and i'm sorry but i am a firm believer in the fact that we should have quality over quantity and you could happily chuck away a third of these races no one would miss them so that you've got a limit to the amount of f1 races you can watch well you're not a real f1 fan then well somebody yeah (laughs) exactly somebody i don't know you have to quantify it otherwise people will get upset at you but i really don't understand well i mean i do understand from Mm. liberty's point of view because more races means more money uh but there is a genuine uh, petering out, I think, of your enthusiasm for a sport when it's on this much and it doesn't always deliver the quality that it should do because it's on terrible yeah. racetracks. A lot of the for, time it is. Yeah. A lot of the time. A lot of the time. But to me, this is like the same situation I have with tacos where I'm like, of course, two tacos is enough. And if someone then gives me two more tacos, I'll be like, oh, come on. Don't, don't be silly, but you won't be able to hear those words because I'll already be eating the third and fourth taco. And I think I'm not sure there's a limit to the amount of tacos I will eat, even under protest. Um, I don't know. Christian, what, what would your limit that, that's be? That's the best example ever. <laughs> okay. I'm getting so hungry right now. I have yeah. some very good sauces, by the way, but Ooh. that's for another podcast. No, 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 no. No, look, you, you've never stopped F1 being the topic of this show, stop you before. <laughs> so um, what's your limit? Do you have a limit? Well, I, I, I looked at the calendar. I, I think 24 is too much for, for, for guys like us who's watching uh, the practices and stuff like that. But if you look at it from uh, maybe broader audience point of view, 24 is not too much if they only watch the races on Sundays or the rerun at night. That's a good I point. I mean, for, for, for that kind of consumer, and I think Liberty is trying to, to hook into those people just a tiny bit. Actually, uh, the problem yeah. is, though... Oh. Uh, when you can't get the calendar to work on a more logistical uh, uh, basis, then you will get everyone tired. Uh, I'm not just talking journalists and drivers and teams. It's everyone. It's the entire system will be like in red DEFCON 4. Uh, And I think that is, I would worry about that if I was them. But still, I mean, 24, it's it's every second week all year long. Lots of triple headers. No, no, no. Look, look, I think the only, like Chris says he's got his limit for for the races. I I don't think I do for the amount of weekends that F one is on. I think my family will disagree strongly with that. The only time I reach my limit is when there's a these sprint weekends. So with the sprint races, I am finding myself now increasingly just noping out of the the whole Saturday. So I'll watch the Friday practice and like on Sat. I know we were doing the karting and stuff for the Austrian Grand Prix, but. Like, I just didn't care. I didn't care what the result of the sprint race was. I didn't watch the qualifying for it. And I can have too much in a weekend. So I can, I, and, and that's fine. Look, I can just, I can disregard Saturday on a sprint weekend. It's actually quite handy. It's all one big chunk. Uh, but I don't think I've got a limit to the amount of races that I, I will enjoy in a, in a year. Thing is, Spanners, I checked my phone at the start of this weekend and I was like, oh, thank God Formula One isn't on this weekend. And I feel like that says something. About, about you how many and your rubbish fandoms we have at the moment i mean they've done a nice job stepping in the right direction with their more regionalization of the calendar there's a bit of australasia at the start of the season as well and then you've got like the the north and south american races are a bit together as well which is nice but they're still banging on about putting more races onto the calendar and upping it to like 28 or something like that and i just don't understand how that is at all feasible when you throw in testing and the mandatory summer break and the postseason testing as well. And oh, then yeah. you, 
they're just never going to have a break. Oh my goodness! At all. Yeah, testing's going to start probably you know maybe late January, middle of yeah middle of February. Uh, Matt, well, I, I'm sort of halfway tempted to tell you about the latest great sprint ideas they've had, but uh, the thing that interests me about our calendar is that in talking about it, Zach Brown said that there's actually a demand from racetracks for like 30 Grand Prix a year. So I understand from a business point of view, Liberty is looking at the calculation. We can go to these places and get all these new viewers because we put an event there. But logistically, 24 is the maximum. But I think I really kind of tend to agree with Chris. Once you start to get over 20 for the serious, for the person who's going to sit down and watch everything when it happens, it starts, the event of doing that starts to become more of a slog and less of an enjoyment. If you know what I mean, it starts to lose a little bit of the uniqueness once it's every other weekend all the time. You can't be less or more unique. Just saying. Point of order. I don't normally get to correct anyone on vocabulary, so I just thought I'd uh, go for it. Christian? If you look at the... I'm always using football, soccer. No, uh, no worries. Let's do it. Uh, as uh, like an example of how people react to to patterns in how you go about the sport uh, in communicating it. And if you have like Champions League, then you have the the uh, the the uh, what's it called the uh, Euro uh, Champions League, and then you have uh, World Championship Euro, and then you have like the local league, and a local league foreign ward, right? Everyone is always trying to make new series like the Nordic Cup, whatever. People just can't get it. I mean, it's too much already. Uh, you want to go to Champions League or you go to the Euro. Uh, then you want to win your local and you want to win the, the, the award, the Pokal or whatever you call it, uh, the Cup. Um, the knockout, yeah. You, yeah, you can't watch all the games anyway. You're not going to watch all the games in the league. You're going to pick some games you're going to watch. And then you're going to watch the Champions League, of course. If you look at Formula 1, I know Formula 1 is Champions League all along. But you can't have uh, 24 Champions League finals. So we need some uh, some uh, group matches, group uh, races, stuff like that. It, I, I think that is the way uh, Formula 1 is thinking, at least from a communication point of view, that you have like these maybe 10, 15 races a year that is really important. Then you have like the, the other bits. But this will definitely be uh, an enemy to the sprint race, I think. I love Star Wars, right? Again, so stick, right. Stick, no. No, stick with me on this. No. Stick with me on this. Matt, too late. Done. I, no, no, Done. no, 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 no. Lost I, me. No, no, right. come on. Right. It's one of my absolute favorite franchises in the entire world, if not my absolute favorite, okay? But when Disney made five Star Wars movies in five years, even I got Star wars out, Okay. Because you had mediocre movies like Solo, which are like a street track in Formula One. You know, no one's asking for it. Do you know what, Matt, Chris? Futurama, same. Yeah. First six seasons, Mint, then... Simpsons. Simpsons. There you go, Matt. Well, I think I have a convenient solution to this from our past, which is F1 used to run non-championship races. And imagine if those extra four races had Formula One teams, Formula One cars, but not necessarily the exact same Formula One drivers, and they didn't have championship points. So you could run your junior drivers in real Formula One events, for example, or you could import someone from IndyCar or someone from WEC to be one of your drivers. I think, I think that's, that's a potential way to go where F1 as a sport mm. can go to more tracks per year 
but the championship that we follow stays contained okay. within, you know, a manageable bundle. Okay, well, Matt, what you've managed to do there is you've managed to actually move me away from my point more towards Chris's side with that argument. Like, if you started doing <laughs> any of what you just suggested, F1 would be terrible. Like, I would not want that. And yet, and then I would be upset and I would not, like, tune into all those races. The, the, the sprints, right? We all hate them because they're pointless. You want to add more pointlessness, more pointlessness to, to, to <laughs> Formula 1. If they're non-championship, the whole point is you can tune out and you don't miss anything. But for the new markets, they still get Formula 1. It solves both problems without aggravating either person. How the team's going to pay for that? I mean, they already hate the fact that they, they have sprint races. They would get a separate races. budget for it, and they would ah. get data from it, which they would love. What, what separate budget? Where is it coming from? Christian, uh, you, you, budget you yell now, Christian. Sponsors. Everything budget-related is going to change dramatically. The teams are going to be 10 times worth the price they were two years ago. Uh, they're going to make lots of more money. They can't spend any money. Everything is changing these days. So I don't think you can use economics uh, in regards to this because everyone's going to make more money and everyone's going to be interested in buying what they got. What I think is uh, very important is what you talked about, Chris, is ruining it. Because Star Wars and Formula One is actually quite similar in some points. There's some magic to it. There's some. It don't do that with the head spinners. At that, <laughs> there is. I mean, the first time I saw Boba Fett in Star Wars, for instance, I was like, he 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 made my life basically. And every time I've seen Boba Fett since, it's affected me emotionally. Then they made the Boba Fett series, and they just completely ruined it all. He was made into a plastic figure. Uh, it, it was all about the clicks, just ruined it. And Formula One has this sense of VIP-ness to it, this sense of uh, NASA engineering, uh, gold-plated uh, exhausts, whatever. That glamour could very easily fall away. And that is what they have to look out for, I think, Liberty. That is the, the gold mine for them. I just don't, I, I love that you're all using Star Wars references, thinking that that's good podcasting. That no, uh, <laughs> Spanners, just... I'm going to put it into your language. Okay, please. Red Dwarf. Okay. They, they've made too much Red Dwarf. No, you're I don't know you're... what that means. <laughs> no, we're going to have a fight. <laughs> you're wrong. Just sit there in your wrongness and be wrong. Okay, that's okay. what I want from you right now, Chris Stevens. Okay, look, I do feel I have to say I do feel a bit sorry for. Uh, some you know formula one staff who've been you know doing this a decade or so and they're kind of sold on this f1 life that it's 16 to 18 races i know that's going back a fair bit and then now their lives are probably in different stages you know maybe there's more children maybe they're they're married and more settled and and they look at that calendar and they go well i can't actually do my dream job anymore i don't think i can manage this you know and they go home to their partners and they look at that together and they say, what is our life looking like with with this calendar? Um, I, obviously, the new people that come in now to Formula One, this is going to be their reality, Chris. Anyone yeah. who wants to be an F1 journo, cover Formula One, be in an F1 team, be an F1 driver. This is the reality now. They can't complain. But I do feel a little sorry for you know the guys sitting in the teams now going, I've got choices to make. Yeah. I think we're already seeing it with um, media teams are on rotation now per publication. Yeah. Um, or we've had publications just straight up not send journalists uh, to races because they simply can't afford it anymore. And I think this is all going to come to a head in Las Vegas because from what I've been told, there is going to be so few journalists actually on the ground in Las Vegas because they simply yes, cannot I've afford this, yeah. to stay there 
for There's going to be a very weekend. angry Joe Sayward uh, block, <laughs> that one. <laughs> so I haven't exactly. spoken to Joe specifically about uh, Las Vegas. I assume he's going. Uh, but over the course of this season, you know, I've spoken to a lot of journalists and I speak to a lot of people who do the kind of thing we do. And so, you know, overall in the F1 landscape, every race is being diluted by having more races. I think each race is worth more, less, sorry, to the people who are covering it and it's getting harder to cover it. We're seeing a lot of pod fade. Woo-hoo. We're seeing, you know, journalists and, and media s- s- struggling to, to cover it because the, the maths isn't going to add up. And what I'm hearing from other content creators, because I was a little bit disappointed that our viewing figures and stuff and our download figures hadn't risen that much this year, but nearly every other content creator I've spoken to has said they've they've seen a massive drop in the in the viewing, like per race. So they might have over the course of the year the same amount of individuals listening or or watching, but I think people are picking and choosing which events they now tune into. So you know, after those conversations, you know, I, I feel grateful that our our listeners are a bunch of F one nerds who are addicted to Formula One chronically, like we are, which is why we probably haven't seen you know, any kind of drop-off. But I, I think the effect is real, Chris, out there, and outlets and mm. creators are going to struggle making something uh, of, of following F1. 100%. I, I completely agree. I don't know how you do it, because you and Matt are the two people on this show who show in week, out, week in, yeah. week out, and the rest of us are just on rotation. We do it when we can be bothered. I, I'll to, tell you, to jump Chris, in. I will tell you. I'll tell, tell you how we do it, and we do it because we have the kind support of our patrons who support us by going to patreon.com forward slash missed apex genuinely literally we would not be able to do what chris had described if we don't have patron support patron support clears a lot of pathways so thank you very much and we've had a big um, uptick as well and some new people enjoying our patron slack group so patreon.com forward slash missed apex and if you're subscribing on patreon then also subscribe on youtube oh like and subscribe (laughs) yep like and subscribe and uh at missed apex f1 on twitter and tiktok as well you won't regret it we do good stuff on there uh and you know the 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 patrons they they don't they don't break my heart but what does break my heart spanners is we're talking about all these extra races and then they say how about we do a street race in madrid how about we do a street race in in nice as well on that like we just fixed barcelona why are we going to a street track in madrid it's rough christian i just wanted to thank the patrons so i'm gonna post a picture uh last time i posted like a go-kart thing this time i'm gonna post like this is a leak this is uh the new merchandise from uh, mercedes the new race shoes i'm gonna post it you're leaking is this an exclusive yeah oh just for the patrons Uh, (laughs) maybe it's only for hamilton Okay, Hamilton fan. And if you want to see that yeah. leak, then you've got to all subscribe right, on Patreon right, to get right. into our Slack There group. we go. Thank you very like much, that. guys. It's all there. That looks disgusting. Okay, so let's look at the calendar let, let itself. Just, let me just add one thing, Spanner, sorry, uh, in, in regards to the many races. Don't forget that uh, Formula One is the races, and then it's everything that happens between the races. And things like this, this podcast, every, basically journalism as well, all the magazines and stuff like that, that is between the races. That is when the public and our opinions and what we talk about and that is where the sport gains traction it could be a great race whatever happens but what happens between the races is is your public perception and that is what is worth money mm-hmm. and if you have races all the time there is going to be no public perception no podcast because because we don't have time we can't make money of it because you take all the money to las vegas yada 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 
Christian, you, f- you feeling okay? That was on topic yeah. and, and relevant. All right, cool. Well, look, um, one of the biggest complaints I've had about the calendar has been the start of the season for the last two seasons has been so street circuit heavy and then also a lot of tracks where you just can't race and you just can't overtake. From that point of view, I think the calendar you know, is, a, is a big improvement. We've got a couple of Saturday races to start with in Bahrain and Saudi. So Saudi, the Saudi Arabia race in Jeddah, is is on a Saturday because Ramadan starts on the is, is predicted to start on the tenth of March, so they're doing it on a Saturday, so they're clear of that. And therefore, Bahrain the week before we think has to be on a Saturday as well because they need seven days between Grand Prix. So I'm trying to research if that's a real regulation or just some, but that's the reason why they're on a Saturday. But Bahrain is a great track to kick the season off with, so that that's good, no complaints there. Saudi Saudi Arabia has been mixed. I mean, it's exciting from a, a driver point of view and from an onboard point of view, if not outright terrifying. And then you've got Australia, which is a, a favourite, and they've made a couple of changes there. But it is, Chris, you're shaking your head, but that, I promise you that maybe you have to be more like old man. But it's an old man favourite. Like, no, pe- no, I know it is because it's yeah. been on the calendar since yeah. I've been watching Formula 1 as well. It used to be the season opener when I was, when I was watching it, but... Uh, I I do just think it doesn't deliver what we need it to anymore no. in terms of exciting racing. No. So, but if you've got it mixed in with you know, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia won't be a bad start to the season, I don't think. And then Australia, and then we're we're back to Suzuka, and that's going to be fantastic. And back to China. So, did you just at Suzuka? I, no. I, oh, oh, thank goodness for that. Like, I, I love it. It's one of the best you know, tracks. I guess, yes, it is a bit tight. There's a bit too much time on throttle. But, you know, it's, it's definitely a Formula One classic. And then uh, the Shanghai track is probably one of the best tracks on the calendar. And I agree so, with you. Yeah. So we've got all those five races before we have to, you know, endure Miami. And sorry, <laughs> sorry, Miami. But it's not good, is it? No, you're it's right. Not, it's it's, not just, it's on, just a sorry. slog, isn't it? Oh, no. so, sorry, Matt. Sorry, I know. Murica. Um, no, I was going to say the good news is there's at least a 50% chance the entire city will be underwater by the time we get there. So it might be a problem that solves itself. Okay. No, well, I wish the Miamians well. That feels mean. I. It's just reality. Like the oh. city floods an awful oh, lot. That's right, what okay. I'm saying. Okay. Whew, I thought you were just like wishing a specific harm on the people of Miami. No, oh. no, 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 no. The opposite of that. But the reality is it floods an awful lot and an awful lot of water. But look, the rest of the season, honestly, like that's that's a much better start. So the, the five races we've mentioned, you know, Miami, it's got its it's got its perks. It's got its uh, quirks. It's got its its own appeal. Racing isn't specifically one of them. But, you know, Imola's good. It'll probably rain there in May. And then Monaco, Montreal, Barcelona, Austria, Silverstone. That is a much better overall start to the calendar. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that that's because they've listened to the negative feedback they've got at the beginning of the last couple of seasons and how magically that starts to, to peter away once you go into real racetracks. But anything else, Chris, uh, stand out for you on this, on this new 2024 calendar? Uh, the fact that Abu Dhabi still uh, concludes the season is somewhat uh, disappointing. I think yeah. it's because it's not. It's it's a really nice venue, isn't it? It's really it looks fantastic on People TV. Go, love it, yeah. But it's not the proper place to finish a ch- If you if you want it going down to the wire, like we had in twenty twenty one, for example, and and let's be honest, ninety percent of the way through that race, we it was a 
pretty much a foregone conclusion yeah. of who was going to win uh, the championship. So it wasn't that nail-biting finale that we wanted it to be, like you often get at Interlagos, which to me is always the right and proper championship finale location. Oh, actually, looking at it, I don't want to. I was trying to be all positive about the start, but actually looking at the end, that's a terrible finish to the F1 season. So we've got Las Vegas, which is guilty until proven innocent in terms of whether or not that's going to be a good race. So you've got to say street, city track, temporary circuit, probably not going to be that good. It's probably going to be you know a lot like uh, Miami. We might actually lose Singapore because there's been some some drama in for the Singapore event owner is under charges. So, so yeah, there's the, there has been a bit of uh, corruption um, uh, apparently in the the upstairs of who the people who who run the uh, who run the event. But I'm told that it won't actually oh, okay. uh, affect the the Grand Prix itself. It shouldn't do. Okay. Um, but there were, so we do have Austin. That's always a good one. Oh yeah, no, 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 yeah. So, Cota and if you if you said to me the end of this season now, looking at that calendar, the end of the season could be Italy, Azerbaijan, uh, Baku, Singapore, Singapore, the least bad out and out street track, uh, Circuit of the Americas. I think one of the best tracks on the calendar at the moment. Mexico, uh, but then finishing Interlagos in Brazil, that would be a stonking end to the season. Uh, But Las Vegas, Qatar, and Abu Dhabi ending the season could be a bit of a uh, a damp one i'll tell you the i'll tell you the thing about um singapore as well is it are they not still due to have that bit of track cut out and it's just a straight while they redevelop um which bit of that track? stadium there's the um you know the plinky plonky final sector where they go right left right left right left all the time uh that's just turning into a straight because Ooh. they are building a stadium on the waterfront uh and so that bit of track is, is shut basically. So they're, they're sort of going around it by just creating a straight between that last chicane before the last two right-handers. And I think I think it's the, the right-hander. After you go over the bridge, you've got big breaking zone into a sort of hairpin, and then it's just straight all the way down to that uh, chicane, which I think is going to be for this year and next oh, okay. year. So that'll make it while quite... They, while they build that stadium. That'll make it quite Baku-ish then. Uh, but not oh to the same extent. Um, it will be a bit lower speed, but it should mm. liven things up a little bit because let's be honest, that last set is a bit, a bit meh. Uh, earlier on, there was like a bit for Formula One from Saudi Arabia, and uh, I get it; they have a lot of uh, money in the fund. And uh, but if you look at the calendar, I understand Bahrain uh, in regards to the testing, but then two uh, Middle East races to start the calendar and two Middle East races yeah. to show, st- stop the, cal- uh, the yeah. calendar. I, I just find that uh, quite it's, peculiar. It's, it's more but than the coincidence. the thing, though, yeah. that is the argument, right? It's, I don't think it's peculiar, Matt, is it? It's, they're going to buy it. So It's almost like Formula One is a business and all it really cares about is making money, and we're just lucky to have the sport that's attached to it. <laughs> but but mean, look. If, if, not the, if not the Saudis, it'll be the Qataris won it that the buy it i think inevitably yeah so i think you know, obviously liberty media was saying no no it's not for sale we've got this long-term future but everything they're doing to me looks like a, a well milking the cow might be a bit harsh but i think that it looks like now it's the extraction phase this is the harvest now liberty media have grown they've sown the seeds they're harvesting now and then i think it will end up there's like christine is saying there's a lot of clues on the calendar as to where formula one ownership will end up um, if you also look at the calendar being uh, structured around Ramadan as well, I expect that to go further. So there's a, 
a break between Saudi Arabia and Australia. So Australia and Japan are just at the end of Ramadan. But I would not be surprised if we end up seeing a, a month-long gap in future seasons, much like, obviously, Christmas. We don't race over Christmas. But if that's going to be the way forward, rather than start the season, then have a month break, just start the season in April, go to the Southern Hemisphere during December, and then finish the season off in, in January or as something. As far as I know, the race is going to be on a Saturday in, uh, in Saudi Arabia. Yes, it will be, yeah. 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 So let's just break all the norms, because someone paid for it to be there at that mm-hmm. weekend. The well, end. Yeah. So, I mean, look, look, golf lost, didn't it? And, uh, and maybe F1 and we'll go, we'll go the same way, right? One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. What, what should we do, Matt? Shall we argue about things? Or shall we talk about uh, Dominicali and the teams? Why don't you take us away on uh, Dominicali's refusal to entertain new teams on the grid? Because I saw you and spotted you and Christian having a, a back and forth over that earlier. Yeah, well, this is the thing. We know that the FIA is about to approve two new entries to the sport, likely to be the high-tech entry and the um, Andretti entry. But there's word coming out that just because the FIA approves them doesn't mean that FOM is going to actually let them on the grid. And Domenicali, ever the diplomat, is like, well, they're going to have to show they're bringing something super special for us to let them on the grid. And to me, this is interesting because it seems like he's forgotten that it's the FIA that own the sport. And it's just the FOM currently in the form of Liberty that are renting it. And yes, I did steal that from someone. Thank you. And and I, I'm just staggered. How could you not want more teams on the grid? We have drivers without rides. And and how is it going to be bad for Alpha Tower to have someone to actually fight with for a change? So I don't necessarily think teams need to bring something amazing and special and spectacular to the because what like why? Like what funding? What, what, right? what, 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 yes, it's money. That's all you Show need. Show me you because... have the money to run a team and then we're good. What does what does Haas actually bring to the table apart from being an American team? What does AlphaTauri actually bring to the the table yeah. apart from, in terms of being something special? What does Williams bring to the table in terms of being oh that hurts something that special? Hurts. Yeah, I know. Sorry, but oh. it, they're not these spectacular entities, are mm. they? They they're just teams, and I absolutely we, we need more teams on the grid no, because we're constantly yeah. talking about amazing drivers who don't get a chance to have 
a seat in Formula One because there just aren't enough seats. I think I think Matt, if if we were if that was to be wrong, and and I think your your thing to be in a fair world, they would only need to be better than Haas and Williams to deserve a place in F1. The thing now is, I I think this is the closed shop franchise F1 that we were talking about years ago. And it was, I think it was obvious when Liberty Media came in that that's the way they were going to, to go. And now Haas, it does not matter if they finish 10th, really. Are they going to pour resources and blood, sweat and tears to go to go ninth to get that extra bit of, uh, that extra little bit of, uh, of championship points? Why are Haas in F1 now and not selling? Because Andretti said no one is selling. Why, why is no one selling? Because it's a guaranteed profit every month. So because they know there's no risk, they can just sit there. And I think that, that could be the death of like competition in the midfield because Williams, Haas, AlphaTauri can just sit there and it does not matter if they are consistently 8th, ninth, and 10th every year, Matt. And that's, is that what you get in your American sports? Well, we do to a point, but then when they're worth enough extra money, they have this thing called, get ready, expansion. And they add new teams to the league in different new cities so that more people become interested. And I think really the game was given away uh, with this quote where Domenicali says, it's not the money as we have said. Well, no, it is the money because remember the fee that the teams have to pay to get on the grid now? It's like $200 million. Well, pretty much the existing teams want to add a zero to that because the TV numbers have gone up so much and because the general public interest has gone up so much. What they're trying to do is close the door they walked through and not let any new teams onto the grid until they can add another zero to that number and protect their shareholder wealth and do their fiduciary duty, which is all a bunch of hoo-ha, they say when they don't want to have to actually do their jobs and be competitive to make money as Formula One teams. So being the 10th team in 1995 is the same as being the 10th team in uh, 2023. But the difference is these days, there's sometimes less than a second between number one and number 10. So I think uh, everything has changed dramatically. It's a completely different sport uh, from from a competitive point of view. Every everyone is so close together. I don't think a little bit of, uh, of extra competition. Uh, and as someone saying, we have a lot of we have enough of the people not winning. Uh, uh, we need more teams winning. But to have more teams winning, we need someone to be even worse <laughs> than number ten right now. Uh, and just new drivers in, things happening, more cars on track. The tracks are so big these days, and the cars are going to get a little bit smaller as well. I don't see anything wrong with 24 cars on the road. I, I mean, 28 wouldn't be a problem for me. It, it, exactly. I, more cars on the grid is never, ever going to be a bad thing, uh, especially like in the early 2010s when we had you know, the Caterham and the Mauritius and the, the HRT. You know, they in themselves provided some great the battles. Spiker. And I will always remember in 2012, like everyone's focusing on Alonso versus Vettel for the title. But then further down, there's their own like vital championship fight happening between Mauricio and, and, and Caterham. And, you know, to the point about like the two biggest prospects at the moment seem to be high tech and Andretti, who seem well funded and are definitely, you know, credible mm-hmm. as race teams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Andretti's got a massive history in American. Uh, sports car and single-seater racing. And today, Jake Dennis put one hand on the Formula E World title 
uh, as well in the Andretti car as well. So I just, I just don't see why we can't just, well, I mean, we know, we all know why common sense won't just prevail in this, but it's such a shame that we're not letting this happen because it would be amazing. It is absolutely all about the money and it always will be to a certain extent in Formula One. But I have, I have a secondary question, which is if, if we were to expand to 12 teams, if we were to expand to 12 teams, should we change the championship points to go down to P12? Because that's still half the grid. Absolutely yeah, yeah, not. Was... What? No, of course. No, what? why? What, why you want not? A, would you want a consolation prize? It's supposed to be a degree of excellence to scoring a point. I'm sorry. It's simple math. Right now, half the drivers what? score points, half the yeah. drivers don't. If we okay. expand the grid, shouldn't half the drivers still score points? It seems okay. like a reasonable let's, question from my do, side of the pond here. Let's do some more math then. Okay. When there okay. were 24 cars before, it was yeah. still only 10 teams or 10 drivers that yeah. were scoring and that was points. worse. It was wrong. And and back back in the nineties when we had twenty six cars and it was only eight drivers scoring points as well. Why why do we have to have it? Oh, Chris, oh, Chris, you're making us all feel old now because we can all remember only six drivers scoring exactly scoring yeah, points. Yeah, but only in the eight 90s. teams ever finished, so it really wasn't the issue you're making it out to be, <laughs> Christian. Uh, uh, I think we should make it exciting to fight for twelfth, and I think we should make it exciting to fight for eighteenth. Uh, and I mean, why fight for 18th? Why destroy your tires? Yeah. Why, why maybe break a front wing on on the third last lap or whatever? I mean, it should count all the way through down the field. I know, uh, of course, the winner should gain more and the fastest lap and stuff. Fastest lap for everyone should count. It shouldn't be yeah. always Checo just pitting on the last <laughs> lap and doing his fast. I mean, it's so unexciting. <sighs> Yeah. Every everything yeah. in the field should be exciting. Everyone's brought their A game. Everyone's brought their, as we talked about, gold plated exhaust. So why not reward everyone with what they're entitled to? Uh, this is my favorite when when Chris is like this wrong, but he's passionately wrong. So he's going to keep pushing the wrongness, which is great because it's no, it's good content. I like. It's a nice to have a back and forth. I'm very open minded. So if you have points all the way down, you 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 can't just say right. Well, because it's always been this magic special thing to get a Grand Prix point. That must be the way to go forward. There's much more attention now on the teams. There's a lot more fans of drivers down the bottom end. I'm not sure in the 90s as many people could name the entire F1 grid as can now. So, look, it doesn't have to be 25 points for a win. That's just been a a quite recent and, and somewhat arbitrary number. It could be 100 points for a win. It could be 18 times four, whatever that is, for a second place. And then once you get below 10 points, it could become a very small amount of points. So it's a very small amount of points where you're unlikely to be competing and and ruining things up front. But it's enough to differentiate. I want to know who's been doing better over a season. Who's the 16th and 17th best driver? I'd love to see that information. You you still see that because they still occasionally score points, and which is a mark of excellence. But Spanners, when you told the story of that, you know, dad race, that you were in. Oh no, not recently. Not, not, not publicly. At my, <laughs> at my son's race. my son's you sports did. day. You talked about it on the show. No, I think on the Patreon pod. I don't think I said it on the show. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Do you want to was, tell the story yeah, now? No, no, no. I was at my son's sports day, and they would said, "Oh, there's a parents' race. So who wants to get involved?" And I, and then I looked. I didn't really, but then I thought I'm going to get injured. So anyway, I saw that they were one person short and they were like begging. I went, okay, 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 okay. I'll, I'll go, go and do it. What I didn't realize is they then put us up against a team of the PE teachers and a team of the year eights and a team of the year nines. And obviously, so the two dad teams came dead last. And 
I was so my team was so far behind when I got the baton that I received that sarcastic applause that you get for like just trying. You know, at the end, like, oh look at him trying. Look at his little face. He's still trying. Yeah. What what's the point? Why do am you I want sharing? to do that for Formula One drivers? <laughs> really? Really? Are you comparing f- struggling for fighting for th- points for 13th to me flopping my way down the 100 meter track at my Absolutely. kids' sports day? Oh, Matt, it's harsh. It is. And since I haven't apparently fomented enough chaos into the points yet, I have a further proposal, which is based entirely on vibes. I think the distance between first and second place is now in these days of uber reliability entirely too much too big yes and i say i I say i say we bring it down to make life more interesting for everybody yeah like 20 points for second place or something like that so it's only a five point difference rather than a seven which is probably actually too big when you consider the previous point system before 2010 it was 10 and 8 yeah yeah, that, this this is my thing. I would love to shrink the distance between first and second place to something like, yeah, if like you said, maybe four points or five yeah. at most, with the fast lap floating around to make life more interesting. Then, so a hundred points for the winner, ninety eight points for second place. Okay, we're making progress now, Christine. We're making progress. I think one of the reasons why they they changed it was you could you could basically win. all races all year, and then the other guy coming second could win one, and then be champion. So, uh, so you had to do something about the points. So it would, if you won all the races or half the races or was champion, it would reflect. So yeah, wins should be. And yeah. I think this this debate is also always returning when someone is riding away like Hamilton did or Verstappen do right now. Then this comes up because we are we're just so bored about it. We need to do something. What can we do? Well, well, well uh, I, I don't think the points yeah. are the are the way to go though. Well, maybe, but like you're, the, the point you're saying is like we are all switching off to Verstappen at the front and we're looking further down the field for our entertainment. And sometimes you see a good battle True. and you go, oh, that's not for any points. So why, you know, you know what, what's the yeah. incentive? And you'll remember Alonso, who anytime he was like 12th or below in the McLaren, he would suddenly be like, oh, no, there's a vibration because he basically didn't want to finish 12th. The thing is, for, for me, I know you, Christian, you say, oh, why am I going to risk anything if I'm only in 18th? Because you may as well just pack up and go home and never race but a car that, again. You, that's what Alonso was doing. That's what Alonso no, was doing at McLaren. I know. And I absolutely hated that he did that because that is just, for me, just pack up and go home. And he kind of did, frankly, for a little <laughs> while, didn't he? He just went and tried something else. I just, I just think that says so much about you as a racing driver that you would just be so willing to give up. Remember when but, but, but Manor... Chris, in, 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 imagine we're at end of season. Yeah. We have Haas, we have, uh, we have uh, Alfa Romeo fighting, and none of them have points. We still want to know who, who did best, but the points doesn't reflect anything because they both have zero. So Look if, into it. Yeah, I know, but that is not the way the sport works. <laughs> it's not for the looking into it. It's for everyone to understand it immediately. Yeah. You know they're not very good because none of them have scored points. <laughs> you know how we were just talking about how amazing our patrons were? Well, I have an idea from our patron chat from Morgan who suggests that if you go two straight seasons in Formula One without scoring a single point, you should be banished from the sport. What do we think? <laughs> I mean, in today's format, that kind of that kind of works. Yeah, so that's but one vote. Yeah, not, if we, but not if we have 24 cars on the grid and we keep the current... <laughs> 
system. But what if we I mean, put the like, points down to 12? Then maybe no, that would be fair after all. No. Because, like, do, you remember <laughs> what, do you remember when Mana scored points? Like, twice they did it in their entire tenure in the sport. Do you remember how ecstatic and emotionally vibrant and amazing those moments? They might be few and far between, okay. but they are... So, Rich but Chris, you will entity. still get this. You will just get the right points. There will still be a fight at the last race no. for that one point. I, I always get guys like, like I, I'm not the, this fan of you know antiquity and tradition at all. I always say like, do the best solution, not just pick a solution because it's always been. Are you really saying we can't have a better point system for the sake of two moments where Mana scored a point? That feels like too little of a of a return on investment to me. To make me go, oh no, you're right. Oh my when God, was it? I'm going to have to agree with you here, Spanners. Oh what no, have you sorry done? about that. When was the last? When was that? When was the last time? When did Mana score a point? 2012. 20, uh, no, they scored points in. Okay. Oh God, what was it? 2014. Okay, so ten Yankee years ago, Chris. In Monaco. <laughs> And then yeah. uh, Verline scored a couple of points in Austria 2016. Okay. Well, we can't have me and Matt agreeing for too long. So let's <laughs> let's let's argue about tyres. Okay. So I would say, Matt, you're actually a, a Pirelli a supporter. Like you, you seem quite always supportive of, of what they do and 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 defend them. And I think you you get what they're going for. Well, I do. And and fundamentally, I feel like they are never given the cards to properly defend themselves just based on the the way testing for tires and the way everything else works they're always catching up with reality from a from a point of a great deal of lag so i do tend to cut them slack because they attempt to do what the fia asks mm. okay so if that makes any sense yeah. yeah so here's my argument i understand the task they've they've been given to do uh, which is yeah. to create tyres that will wear in a certain fashion so that they can be used as, as part of the strategy. And I'm also very sympathetic to the fact that they don't want their tyres blowing up every five minutes or falling apart completely because the this is, again, this is why I don't overreact in the media too much. The whole chocolate tyres thing killed what everyone was excited about initially about the Pirelli tyres, which was the three-stop and four-stop, which is possibly a little bit too far. But because they went around saying, Pirelli has chocolate tyres. These tyres are ridiculous. You know, that hurts Pirelli's reputation. And I feel now they they wanted to protect that by showing they had durable tyres that did the job, um, that that just there was a slight margin in the times between an old tyre and a new tyre. And that's what protect, protected them. But I think they've gone way, way, way too far now. They had to increase the strength of the sidewall, which I think at the time we were like, yeah, but that won't increase the wear. But the tyres they came out with at Silverstone like, can we at least agree that that shows Pirelli have just misstepped in this direction? They've gone too hard. They've gone too hard wearing. And now in a formula which is nearly entirely designed around this kind of start tire strategy and tire wear, like cars build their cars, teams build their cars to the Pirelli tire wear. What we saw at Silverstone doesn't match that. And, I, and actually Silverstone, which is a cracking circuit that produces great racing, was saved by a safety car we very nearly had hordes of people from Reddit calling Silverstone boring, and, and that would have been a problem. And I think this lands on Pirelli. Well, I think it tends to land more on the physics of the racetrack at Silverstone. I don't think they could have brought softer tires to this particular race. Why? Well, it's pretty simple. Silverstone, of all the tracks that we go to puts the most amount of energy specifically laterally 
into the tires. And that puts the most stress onto that sidewall that you previously mentioned. And you may remember them saying, oh, um, yeah, it looks like the teams were like a little faster and stuff. So maybe we bring some 2024 tire technology. And they had tests and they said, not going to affect the performance, but the tires will be stronger. And having said that, when we showed up to the actual race, the front tire pressures, which no one will know what this is unless you're uh, really into the minutiae of tires, were 26 PSI, which is about three, three and a half more than you usually see the front tires at. And that's with the brand new tires. So what does that really mean? What that really means is that back when the FIA said, oh, we're going to raise the floor to solve the bouncing problem. And that's going to, that's going to hobble the downforce creation of the teams enough that we don't have to worry too much about the tires. It just means they were completely, completely wrong about that. And the teams are producing a huge amount of downforce. They're going much faster than anyone predicted. And Pirelli at Silverstone was just hanging on with their fingertips, hoping to not have like that repeat of Lewis finishing his last lap with three tires and everyone pitting at the end because they thought their tires were going to blow up. That was so good, though. That was was so good. If you weren't watching, what year was that? Was that 2020? Uh, 20 or 21 maybe oh, one of the uh, two. 20 20 because there were two grand prix that year at silverstone weren't there because oh uh, it would be 2020 then. One, yeah. and it was that was when lewis won on three wheels wasn't it yeah that, that was it. go go and go and search that go and search lewis hamilton three wheels silverstone and to watch that lap oh, countdown that yeah because it was the was it the front left had gone so he was really trying to manage that and then verstappen was was closing down and just listen to the radio communication between his his mechanic uh, Lewis Hamilton and Bono and they were just really calmly counting down the gap because I think it came from like 20 seconds back or something and by the end it was like two seconds and like the, the calmness of it and then just go how how do you adapt your racing style to suddenly do the fastest available lap on three wheels that has got to be one of the most under underrated drives of, of all time to bring it over the finish line I know that car was a beast but still you know he couldn't just limp home back to the pits he had to push on three wheels to win. Go, go and look that up. Um, so, Matt, I don't think uh, we're disagreeing too much at the moment, but Christian might, might, um, might change that. Uh, I'm not going to disagree because, uh, I mean, uh, I, I just think it's um, 26 PSI is a lot, you know? It is. Uh, that, that's a lot. It's and too normally, much. Yeah, normally it would be around like 20. I remember when from go-karting, uh, in, on cards, you, the, the wheels are a lot smaller, of course, but your PSI is around like you play around 7.5, 8.5, yeah. around that area. That's like nothing. So 26 is a balloon hotly inflated. And if you race on a balloon, everything's just going to be uh, yeah, not well, good. The problem so, is it's not a balloon. It's a rock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so what Pirelli is doing is... Uh, they are trying to do a tire which can follow the trend in Formula 1. And if they have to uh, update the tire halfway through a year already, that is because they have reached their PSI limit. So then they have to introduce a new tire, which is harder than they can turn down the PSI. You have a more flat tire for people not understanding this. Basically, the power in the tire, it wants to go, it, it, the car wants it to go sideways while going, uh, while going straight ahead. So it's around like half a, one and a half ton that wants to go sideways. Oh, in a corner. Uh, yeah. At every corner, sometimes doing 250 uh, kilometers an hour. 
that is just a whole lot of power. And if it's inflated to 26 PSI, that is going to change the entire behavior of the tire as well. So it's just a lose-lose for Pirelli, isn't it? I mean, how can they ever win this? Yeah, and the thing here to consider and why I fundamentally disagree with Spanners about the compound choice here is if they had brought grippier compounds, from a wear point of view, they might have lasted. But a grippier compound gives you even more what they call lateral acceleration or that sideways force, which stresses the sidewall even more. So you would either have to have even higher pressures. Which you can't or you've maxed out. you get to a point where your sidewall will fail because you have too much lateral acceleration. And that's why I think they chose these specific compounds as being the ones they knew would survive the physics of this uh, racetrack. I think also maybe we should think about changing the narrative. So uh, we sh uh, maybe Pirelli should be communicating, this tire is made soft and you're not allowed, if you go more than 20 uh, laps on this tire, there's no guarantee. So everyone's yeah. doing it or if the tire blows up, it's because of the team. Well, that, that kind uh, of was uh, where we were at. I mean, if you look at Baku 2021, that's a, that's a good example of that, Matt. Uh, yeah, or Vettel at Spa when he was racing yeah. a Grosjean, blew his tire up, not wanting to change it. Mm. Yeah, but still the headliners, uh, uh, bad tires. By Pirelli, exactly, by Pirelli. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's the narrative we have to change, I think. Mm. Okay, and uh, the, the issue is here, Matt. Like, okay, okay. So, so we painted the picture of them sort of doing what they feel they need to do. I still think they're being conservative to protect reputation, and I can't blame that from a business point of view. They've had a lot of unfair criticism over the years. But these cars are designed around managing the tyre and tyre wear. When you take that away, it actually becomes like a completely different formula. Why was the Silverstone grid and the order so much different to what people were expecting? How come McLaren, who'd been struggling with tyre wear, suddenly were able to look really competitive up at the front? Like they, It's a major decision to go onto this, this new type of tyre, and it has absolutely just... You know, it's kind of, apart from Verstappen up front, it's kind of turned the season on its head in a not dissimilar way to 2013. Well, the problem here is we also have the massive update from McLaren complicating the yeah. issue. Yeah. We don't know if it was just We'd the love tires. to take that factor out, yeah. Yeah, um, but having said that, I would expect at any other racetrack to see much more representative pressures, and that may really have had a lot more to do with sort of the unusual performance of a lot of the teams. Uh, in the sense that you'll have a contact patch that's much more the normal shape and the tire will have much more its normal thermal performance because I know there were a lot of teams struggling with overheating. And it just, again, this is like the short-sighted thing is that the problem really is at Pirelli and the FIA massively underestimated how much downforce the teams were going to claw back over the off-season. So much so that they've essentially moved their tire development cycle six months forward. And that is the problem that really needs to be solved before we can get into the, well, why didn't you bring the 345 instead of the 123, for example? Uh, yeah. Well, my fear is, Matt, it's just going to, you know, if they, if they stay down this conservative path, and let's hope not, let's hope this was a, a, was a glitch, I, I think Formula One isn't set up to provide exciting, entertaining races around a mega hard tire that doesn't wear anymore. It's going to drive complaints. So if that's the way they're going for the rest of the season, I, I do kind of fear for, you know, I fear for the Reddit forums. That's who I'm worried about. 
Yeah, no, and and I understand, but yeah, like in terms of things that I think about, like look at the weather on Friday, look at how hot it was on Sunday, look at how cool it was. That has a major impact. And I think if I'm not wrong, they brought the same tires, the one, two, three, but the one they brought this year was actually a better performing and softer C1 tire than they had last year. So it's not like they made no effort, but I think I would agree with you. They are very conservatively bounded in that they don't want to bring a tire that's going to fail on a lot of cars, and that's going to be their bottom line. Okay. So, look, we're used to a formula where tires are a real integral part of the strategy, uh, but, of course, in the long, long ago in and in the before time, they used to have a thing called refueling, and we get a lot of people going, bring refueling back, and we get a lot of newer fans asking why refueling shouldn't be introduced into formula one and we haven't spoken about this for a while uh, but firstly is there anyone on the panel who would welcome a return of refueling in formula one and that's looking like a, a stoic no so i'm glad we're all on the same page there chris crickets yeah exactly no no, no i i assumed that and I, I think it's a fair question to ask because the refueling did add a tactical element it's just that the viewer was not privy to it at all so you'd go like Oh wow! Um, you know that you know, Weber's doing really well, and then it would turn out after ten laps, like no, he just didn't put any fuel in in qualifying to go on pole. Um, and, and you know, not, aside from the danger side of it, it just really meant that you couldn't tell what was going on in a race until about ten laps from the end, until everyone had finished refueling. And what you had was the commentators with a little stopwatch trying to time how long the fuel pump had been attached to estimate how much fuel had gone in to see whether they were going to go the rest of the race or whether they were going to do a little short sprint and then refuel again. Christian, not even you, not even old man Pedersen wants a return to refueling. No, but I would like if we on screen had uh, tire pressure and we had uh, the amount of fuel in mm-hmm. each car. Yeah. I mean, all these uh, sorts of information should be available to the public, so it would be much easier for us to judge the race as it would have been back in the days if everyone knew that this car is starting on one mm. litre of fuel, etc. Chris, it works really well okay. in Formula E. Like in the first race, we, you know, we were watching in Rome and you yeah. know, Jake Dennis made a real charge up front in race one, but we could see that he had 3% less and we could see that the early leader had 3% less. So you go, okay, you can put that into context straight away. And having that information in Formula E is actually like really cool. Yeah. But that, that's because it's like such a fundamental part of strategy in, in Formula E. It would be like not knowing what compound of tyre yeah. a, a driver yeah. was on in, in Formula 1. So that's kind of really vital. It does make me laugh when we, we talk about well, we should have a graphic for this, that and the other thing. Because um, do you remember at the start of the hybrid era, they were like, yeah, we're going to have all this stuff that shows you the deployment and how yeah. much they're saving. And it lasted for all of, what, three races That was a really gave up on it. That was a really, really big push from, from Liberty Media and Rob Smedley, who was on this show talking about it. Uh, they were really trying to bring more of that information to Formula One. And, and that's the era of all the replays as well, um, showing yeah. more of the onboard, showing the reaction times. Do you remember reaction times was going to be a big thing? And that's kind oh, of melted still, they away. They still do it, yeah. But do then, they? now they're on about, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. If they show like the replay of the start, they'll normally put like in the corner oh. uh, reaction time. Oh, I've missed that then. Because yeah, you're too busy looking at your blooming timing screens. I keep telling you <laughs> that all they do is distract you. But um, yeah. one thing they're also doing at the moment, I think, they because they trialed it in Formula 2 last weekend. Oh, and yes, yeah, yeah, be yeah. putting on the, the car in, uh, on, mm. in uh, for Hungary is the, uh, the heart rates, which I think is really interesting. So I remember seeing this on... Uh, the Isle of Man TT coverage. 
and you watch them as they build up the speed coming, you know, up the mountain course, and they're doing 200 3, beats per minute. Yeah, oh, goodness. Oh, I don't want, I'd never introduce that into Mr. Apex karting because I can just see like my kids and my wife going, <laughs> Oh no, bring him, bring him back, <laughs> bring him, what's he doing? Because yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen me come off from karting, but like I, I treat it like a full like pump, and I like, I've got a big. A blueberry face and like dripping I've lost half my body weight in water by the time I finish karting never ever show my body metrics no one will let me race again uh, Matt well uh, to me I miss still the tire cameras remember the the FLIR the cameras that yeah, showed yeah. you the tire temperatures oh the thermal cameras yeah, yeah they were cool I, they were cool. I, I loved yeah, those I loved and that, the so. teams got rid of them very rapidly because they <laughs> realized they didn't want the other teams seeing what their tires were up to and I think a lot of the metrics that we would be most interested in have gotten banned for exactly the same reason. The teams don't want that information being made public. And it's always a battle, I think, that uh, Formula One, the business, is going to have to fight a bit. Because if it was up to the teams, we would know nothing ever about <laughs> anything. But knowing nothing, how much would we enjoy the sport? There should be this rule that when you leave the garage on Friday morning, uh, FP1, everything should be told. You cannot have any secrets. So your tire pressures, your everything, even the driver's condition. So and you cannot you cannot hold back. Photographers, you have to. If someone asks you about an item on the car, you have to say what it is. I mean, currently we have these uh, these things where, well, that was the intent at least. Before each race on Friday, they put up all the cars, and everyone has to put out a statement with whatever they made of changes to the car. Yeah. And Red Bull just didn't care. They just didn't put anything in there. And I think some of the teams started out by writing down everything. And then when they realized no one else did it, things just got forgotten. I, I, there's, there's something wrong about having secrets in a sport that is about us watching it. You, you, you can't combine those two things, I think. Just uh, last thing on the, on the refueling for me, really, is that we have to trade in some safety because right now we've got mechanics changing tires in two seconds and that occasionally leads to mechanics getting hauled off by a uh, by a wheel gun or a loose wheel rolling down uh, pit lane and then if we go to refueling then the tire changes will obviously slow down because the limiting factor is going to be the fuel going in uh, but then you know the, suddenly we introduce a risk of people catching on fire and if there's one a uh, group of people who will very sternly say uh, say no to refueling. It's going to be pit lane reporters because right now Ted Kravitz can wander down pit lane in his <laughs> shorts and sandals, but if they bring back refueling, he's going to have to to you know uh, suit up with the uh, with the overalls like they do for endurance racing, and uh, it it gets hot in those things. So I would think the mechanics also being the ones catching on fire might have something to say about it too. Ah, but they're used to it. They're used to being in those, you know, the Nomex and all that. The, the patron live chat is having a, a, a chat about viewer, viewer heart rates. So maybe we do that for a live watch along <laughs> at some point because. Um, oh my God. Yeah. So we, we all sit here with like our resting, you know, heart rates at the beginning. And, and I, I, I'm scared actually to think of what my heart rate is as the lights are going green, even after whatever it is, 30 odd years watching Formula One, like especially the, the Silverstone Grand Prix, which holds a special place in my heart. I was like buzzing all day for that. And by the time the start came around, I, I 
think my heart was like exploding out of my chest. Like I feel a genuine grip of like anxiety and excitement. I know yeah. that sounds stupid for a 42 year old, like watching race cars on TV, but I still get that. And then when Norris overtook Verstappen, oh my goodness. Like, you know, just you have the 999 on it. I know it's only three numbers, but it's worth having <laughs> it on a, on a pre-dial because, because Chris nine, you've got, to, you've got to dial all the way round. On the yeah, dial. And you've got to wait ages. You've got to wait for it to go all the way back. Nine, all the way like that. So I still am like that. And I think, yeah, people would be worried for my health if they saw the live heartbeat and blood pressure at the start of a Formula One race. But we could do it. We could do it. You know, on um, iPhones now, there's like an automatic call the emergency services if you think you've been in a crash. That thing would be dialing 999 every day if I had one of those just from watching. Any kind of racing, really. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we should do that. I don't think we no. should do that. But we have got Hungaro Ring coming up next week. And so uh, so quickly then for from Matt, do you think Pirelli will, you know, for want of a better term, get it right for Hungaro Ring? Can we expect a more normal tyre strategy? Although Hungaro Ring does tend to be a one-stop anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I could go look and see what the actual tyre allocation is and tell you what, what compounds they've chosen. I don't think they've been any more conservative than they normally are. Will it yield a two-stop? It's Hungary. Probably not. Uh, prediction? You, you, don't really, you, you don't really have any high-speed cornering. In, I mean, you have a lot of medium, high, medium, but no high, high-speed uh, cornering at, uh, at Hungary. And because it's quite hard to overtake, that naturally pushes teams to want to, to one-stop anyway because it's, you're going to struggle to get through the field if you're put into traffic. So I think the only re- the only way we would see a two-stopper is if we see like what we saw with Hamilton Verstappen a few years ago, where if you've got two cars that are so far clear of anyone else that they can try and recuperate that gap um, without anybody in between them. But in terms of like the the fight we're expecting, because it's so close between you know Mercedes, Ferrari, and Aston and McLaren, now I think we're going to see a, quite a natural one-stopper. According to the BBC, Matt, the Budapest on Sunday is going to be 30 degrees with a, a gentle breeze. Well, it should be reasonable track temperatures, not n- nothing under, you know, probably under 50 then, I guess, if it's 30 ambient. And uh, yeah, uh, managing the tires. Uh, I'm interested to see how McLaren goes there because they've only because Silverstone is a representative track. You sort of have all three different speeds of corner, but it's very, very focused on the high speed and the high-speed change of direction. But we know, for example, um, Mercedes was really quick in the very low-speed stuff. And we don't have the long straights that tend to benefit the Red Bull with their super-efficient um, DRS. It could be a Hamilton track. Just saying. It, it just, I don't know. I'm not saying, I'm saying this is, I'm, I'm genuinely curious to see how the teams sort out Minus Max, who will probably be fastest because he apparently yeah, yeah, always is going to be fastest this season. But I think there's a lot of interesting unanswered questions going into Hungary. And uh, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a big swing in team performance as a result of that. Hungaroring is, is one of my favorite tracks on the calendar traditionally, even though it is quite narrow and twisty. It is ex- nearly exactly like your average indoor kart track. It's the indoor kart track of Formula One in that large parts of it are just completely unpassable. However, you know, on those local tracks, there is always that one, there's the one passing point. So basically, they follow the leader all the way around to the back straight and then they charge down to a really a long, technical, almost Luffield-esque right-hand hairpin 
but you come into it at a high speed and then there's opportunities then to go into turn two as well and fight into turn two and then generally it's done. By the time you go up the hill to the left-hander turn four, that the overtaking's finished and then they have to wait again to come back to that track. But it always does provide some racing action through turn one and turn two. What you get is good battles. Yeah. And and I think that's quite exciting in and of itself, even if the pass doesn't always necessarily come off. And then if somebody does get past you, then you know it was like highly skilled. And you get Bottas taking everyone out in T1. Yeah, exactly. And, and just think, and this 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 year, because he's obviously he's further back down the grid, he's got so many cars in front of him. Exactly. The opportunities <laughs> are endless. prime weekend. <laughs> you know, um, I was I was in Budapest a few weeks ago for GT Open, and we all thought about this being like, it's hardly a name drop. No. I was in Budapest in motorsport work. I'm Chris was, Stevens. Yeah, I mean, it's my job. But uh, uh, we, were, we were kind of going into expecting the same thing. And we we're like, oh, it's not going to be much action. And then, you know, it was sort of peddling along nicely. But then the conclusion of the race was absolutely immense that came down to a driver at the last corner on the last lap going round the outside for the lead of the race. And, you know, my co-commentator lost his voice basically at the end of that. So uh, it's it's it can do good stuff, I think. Yeah, it's and going with some positive. And hey, look, we we always encourage people to watch um, other racing series here on Missed Apex podcast, and we're proud of our own little racing serieses that we put on. And of course, we've been karting at Missed Apex. Uh, sorry, we've been karting at Brighton Karting, and uh, there'll be a video of that coming out shortly. But you can watch us i racing with Chris Stevens as our commentator and that was all exciting so we'll put links into the show notes below do, do there do you have Verstappen on that server as well uh, no racing? Be- no because no? um our sim racing league has certain rules and codes of conduct ah, okay, that, okay. Uh, that well we, we're oh, not massive no. we're not fans of revenge punts <laughs> if you missed it if you missed it look uh max verstappen i wasn't wasn't planning to talk about this at all but he's in an endurance race he he gets tangled with a driver they kind of trade uh, uh, they trade uh, blows. Another driver hits Verstappen into his teammate. So Verstappen has a complete moment of red mist. And this is on the iRacing service. And you can go look it, it up. It was like Monster 21, basically, right? We've all... Oh, my God. No, it was worse. It was worse than Monster, but it's in the virtual world. But you can... No, it's total red mist. And what, what Verstappen does is, you know, comes over Radion down the Kemble Strait, completely skips the, the, the Lacombe chicane, and then goes and uh, punts the driver off, like completely deliberately, you know, cuts the corner to gain the five places he needs to then kind of revenge punt off. And look, a lot of people are saying it's just a game, but Max Verstappen does not treat that sim racing as just a game. He takes it very seriously, as we all do on the Missed Apex podcast, and we try and treat it as close to real-world racing as possible because for us it's a bit of, you know, it's make-believe and pretend, just like anyone playing Sunday League football but that's what people don't get. They think, you know, I like playing the F1 2021 game. I would say that sim racing leagues, like we run, are every bit as as taken seriously as a hobby as Sunday league football, as going down to the tennis courts. So I think all the people participating in that would have been taking it seriously as well. Um, so it was a bit of a, a moment from Verstappen. If you want to go and see what he's capable of, I will say it was one of the most skillful revenge punts I've ever seen because he had to leave the track go across the grass and then rejoin. Uh, but look, he that's... had 30 seconds to think about it. That yeah. is what, what amazes me. He did it so perfectly. Yeah. But Max Verstappen's passion on the sim racing is equal to his passion, I think, in, in real life racing. I, I don't think he sees a, a major difference between the two in terms of 
his, uh, his approach. So I'm sure some people are going to say, I mean, you only have to look at my Twitter feed. Some people will say I have painted an unfair picture of that. But all I'll say is that conduct wouldn't go down very well uh, with Richard Molden, our race controller on the iRacing series. And you can go and check out what we do by clicking a link that Matt will handily provide in the show notes below. Um, thank you for hanging out with us for this new show. You can't follow Christian Pedersen, so we can just uh, thank him uh, for his appearance and he's, he's noped out of all social media. You can go and follow Chris at Chris on Racing on Twitter and Threads, presumably. Yeah, I'm mm. on Threads. Yeah, follow uh, us all on Threads. It, it seems to be going okay. It's nice. I've yeah. enjoyed being on there. Uh, follow uh, Matt at MattPT55 everywhere and uh, me at Spanners Ready. And I'm on the Threads and the Instagram. Follow me on Instagram, actually. I'm, I'm trying to post more on Instagram as well. Uh, and all those links will be in the show notes. And look, I was, wasn't joking before. The, the patron, patron support, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex, is really what keeps us going. And uh, this past week, we have had a bunch of patrons sign up and join and support us. And I had like a real moment of, oh, okay, okay. Because there's always a turnover. People come and go with the patrons. Um, so that nice spike kind of really reassures us that we can keep planning into 2023, into 2024. So patreon.com forward, mash, uh, forward slash missed apex if you want to encourage this silliness. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.